Hi, and welcome back to The Curious Case of Freedom. One of the teachers in my course for Gestalt Therapy once said that a healthy person is a person with very little character. I felt quite uncomfortable with this statement. Perhaps I felt threatened? After all, I want to consider myself a healthy person. But I have character. And I'm definitely not ready to give it up just yet. Mulling it over for a while, I realized that it all depends by what we mean when we talk of character. Does character mean a clearly defined sense of self? Socially, self-conquest is often esteemed as having character. Not succumbing to weakness, repressing feelings and living in self-control. But more fundamentally, having character from a Gestalt perspective can be seen as having fixed, predictable, behavioral patterns. Character in the Gestalt context can actually be seen as the masks we wear, the roles and cliches that are created by our neurotic processes and give us a false sense of self. The philosophy of Gestalt has a dynamic view of the self. It offers to view the self not simply as a fixed psychological entity, but as the contact boundary in motion, meaning the totality of how we experience ourselves in and with the world. The self is a dynamic, spontaneous, lively and creative process. This dynamic view of the self is an important point in which Gestalt therapy differs from other schools of psychotherapy. It was a radical step in the direction of a new understanding of human beings when Pearls and Goodman abandoned Freud's doctrine of the psychic agencies, the id, ego, and the superego, and so also his understanding of the nature of the human being as an isolated individual, and tried to explain the functioning of the human psyche in terms of exchange and the encounter with the environment. It is, after all, self-evident that we always experience ourselves in contact with something. The Gestalt therapist Hans-Peter Dreitzel wrote that the contact boundary is where the psychophysical organism of the human being and his or her respective environment meet at an exchange of energy, material and information between the individual and the environment takes place. He added, it is at the contact boundary that we experience world as a psychological location not a physical one. It is important for me to reconcile somehow between this dynamic understanding of the self and the fact that we all have a sense of identity, a chronology, and a sense of consistency that is not necessarily neurotic. Even if every seven years, every cell of my body has died and a new one was born to replace it, I am still me. Dreitzel wrote, our sense of identity derives both from the fact that we are recognized and held responsible by others, and from the intimacy of the internal experience of the body and memories, which also includes the knowledge that we cannot escape, i.e. get outside of ourselves. In addition, he adds, we repeatedly tell ourselves and others our life histories differently, depending on with whom we are in contact, 
and what needs have motivated us to seek this contact. To experience the self as a dynamic organism, a spontaneous contact and exchange with our environment, is to be in tune with a certain rhythm. There is a rhythm to our lives, a rhythm between going in and out of contact, sometimes reaching out to the world and then retreating back to ourselves. This rhythm can be found in everything we experience, summer and winter, night and day, becoming completely absorbed in someone you fall in love with and then wanting to be completely with yourself, breathing in and breathing out, enjoying sexual oneness and crying from loneliness a moment later, looking at someone or something and then looking away again. This rhythm of ebb and flow is vital for our existence, for our survival, for the polarities of our needs, our needs that at times seem to be at odds with one another, but are actually two sides of the same coin, our need for self-actualization and individuation, as well as our need for belonging and being a part of a community, our need for security and predictability as well as our need for novelty and exploration. In other words, when we are attuned to our own needs, we naturally go into and out of contact, assimilating what we need and rejecting what we do not. In the here and now, we can experience a natural rhythm of contact and separation, of opening and closing, and so we come into and out of contact with our environment naturally. However, just as we can be attuned to that rhythm, we can also interrupt the process of exchange and contact with our environment neurotically, due to repression. Falling back on early avoidance strategies, what once was our creative adjustment, but with time, became a fixed, rigid reaction pattern, whose original meaning is no longer accessible to us. I remember in my lute studies, whenever I was practicing a new piece, there were so many things to consider. Technical aspects of the way I plucked the strings, developing the independence, dexterity and flexibility of my fingers, interpretation, phrasing, ornamentation, and so on. All of these were important. But if when I was playing the piece for my teacher, I would busy myself with all those things, thinking I should focus on this and that, and what about this? There was no music happening in the here and now. The rhythm would be rigid and clunky. The phrases would not flow into one another naturally, because my way of playing was based on a decision that I had made at some point in the past, the reason for which was not alive in me in that moment. If, on the other hand, I had allowed myself to trust that all that I have learned is simply there, running in the background, if I allowed myself to breathe freely and follow the music, reacting creatively to whatever came in the moment, then there was music, lively and spontaneous. It is when the contact interruption occurs out of repression that our spontaneous, natural and healthy rhythm is broken.
then I do not breathe freely. I'm not flowing from one experience to the next, from one pole to the other, in a natural rhythm. I cannot be alone with myself, but cannot be with someone either. I cannot fall asleep, nor am I really awake. I avoid contact with others, and then proceed to experience others as rejecting me. And so on. When I'm in the state of confusion, I don't know anymore what it is that I want. I'm torn between two poles, and it seems like I don't have my life in my own hands. Do I want to be alone or amongst people? Do I want to sleep or binge watch something on Netflix? I no longer know if I want to say yes or no to any given situation. In the next episodes, I would like to explore some of the ways in which we neurotically interrupt the contact with our environment. Because I believe that once we know how we do that, we are more likely to learn how to maneuver our way back out. This podcast is about freedom. About freedom on different levels. Freedom from inner shackles as well as from outer ones. I believe that it's only when we begin to see the cage that we build for ourselves that we can truly start to live freely. While in this Gestalt series that started in episode 11, I have attempted to explore our inner landscape, I'm always struck by the level to which all of this is applicable to society at large. How our inner processes manifest themselves out in the world. The same dynamic view of the self can be recognized in any given society. Society is not one static thing. It is a dynamic, spontaneous organism, the aggregate of individuals coming into and out of contact. We can experience society in voluntary exchange, where individuals collaborate in order to satisfy their own and each other's needs, and naturally disengage when there is no coincidence of wants. Or we can interrupt that natural flow violently by our collective neuroses. The state is the apparatus by which we try to keep our fellow humans under control. It is the screen on which we project our fear of this overwhelmingly scary world. There is good reason for this instrument to have come about. Our genuine need for security, peace and collaboration. However, the institution of the state is rooted in power and control. It is not an end in and of itself. And yet often, when we are confronted by this realization, we tend to resist and to identify ourselves with it. Just like a person confronted with his own neuroses says, well, this is just who I am, we say, we are the government. We conflate the spontaneous organism that is our society with a screen on which we project our collective neuroses, with this instrument of force, power, and control that is the state. Just like we tend to conflate our spontaneous organism as individuals with our neuroses, because we cannot imagine another way, because it is all we have ever learned. I believe that just as we can free ourselves from our neuroses 
and learn to connect with our natural, spontaneous, creative selves, just as we can learn to experience our feelings fully, without shaming or reprimanding ourselves for them, without disowning parts of ourselves, so too can we free ourselves from the notion that the only way to relate to one another and to solve societal market and class conflicts is through control, regulation, punishments and rewards, in short, through state coercion. And while I believe that systemic problems rarely, if ever, have systemic solutions, here as well, I believe that by looking inward, we can free ourselves from that state we're in. Thank you. required me to act in my conviction is that nobody's got the right to be forcing others to act even if they do believe they're trying to protect themselves or me to require I put something into my body so that you can feel safer in this world of attack When you come 